America and the West sit by and watch while thousands of innocent civilians are slaughtered. But how long will Americans accept the carnage? Joe Biden continues to be a hypocrite and double down on unpopular policies, while Ron DeSantis gives the people what they actually want. I'm John Prophet, and this is The John Prophet Show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. I uh, hope you all had a good uh, evening, a good uh, finish out your Wednesday strong. Unfortunately, of course, I've been covering uh, everything going on there in Ukraine, so it's been a little hard to stay chipper with all that going on, but I'm doing my best. Really, as it has been most days when we wake up, there's some good news and there's some bad news. Uh, I like to try to be positive, especially in situations like this, so I'm going to start off with the good news. The good news is that Ukraine still has control of the capital. It still has control of... Um, Kharkiv and Kiev and Lviv and so, so you know the three four biggest cities in the country they still have control of and the Russian army is really struggling to advance and move forward and achieve its objective so that's the good news and we're gonna go, I'm gonna elaborate on all this as well I just want to start off with some of the basics here the bad news is that uh, Russia the Russian military while they are significantly struggling to move things along and really achieve. Uh, a number of objectives that they've set out for themselves. They have secured their first major victory, unfortunately. Russian troops were seen Thursday in the center of uh, Kherson. It's a, a it's actually one of the most southern cities there in Ukraine. It's a Black Sea port city in southern Ukraine. Uh, they captured it a day after Russians. Or we, were, saw, we actually saw troops walking the streets there, Russian troops walking the streets there, uh, about a day after Russia claimed to have taken control of the city. As many as 300 people have been killed as the Russians entered the city, its mayor estimated. But uh, he said many of the bodies were rendered unrecognizable due to the Russians' high-powered weapons. The mayor and the and the Russian defense officials claimed Wednesday that Russian troops gained control of the city of about 250,000 to 300,000 people. But other Ukraine officials, including President Volodymyr Zelensky, countered that Ukrainians were still putting up a fight. And that is true, and that's what we've been. And that's what we expect throughout this entire uh, campaign. We expect the Russians to take control of the major population centers, but just because they have "quote unquote" control, which means they have troops in the city and. Most likely, they have troops in the capital building of that region, or of, you know, the capital building of that city, and that's really what they will declare as a victory, as having control of the city. But that doesn't mean there aren't still tens or even hundreds of thousands of people there in that city ready to fight them tooth and nail for as long as they are breathing, for as long as they have bullets. So you're going to. You know, United States, Russia, whatever you, you know, they, we've all, we've claimed control of Iraq before, we've claimed control of Afghanistan before, we've claimed control of Somalia, but then you have your troops regularly getting, uh, you know, blown up by roadside bombs, being, being killed in uh, ambushes and things like that. This urban warfare is going to go on for a very long time. Many people are projecting it could even last four years. Um, Kyrgyzstan could become the first city captured since its launch, since Russia's launch of the invasion, it it actually has become the first city captured. But again, I don't necessarily think that um, we. I don't think the fighting is anywhere close to being over. Controlling Kyrgyzstan would give Russia an advantage along Ukraine's southern coast and help it make a westward push towards Odessa, Ukraine's third largest city. The New York Times reported. If you look at the map, they really have 
taken some some small slithers along, along the south, along the east, along the north and the northeast. Um, but they really haven't, if you look at Ukraine as a whole, they really haven't taken up much land. I don't know how long it's going to take for them to actually claim control over the whole country. I don't know if they'll actually ever be able to claim control over the whole country, which is why I do think the fighting will go on for a while. And, and Putin obviously, ultimately will not be able to declare a victory because he's not going to be able to occupy uh, Ukraine. He's not going to be able to keep hundreds of thousands of soldiers there indefinitely, especially when they are dropping like flies, their machinery is being destroyed, they're running out of supplies, and they don't really want to be there in the first place. Not to mention, I don't think they have the capacity to control a country as large as Ukraine. Uh, but then, of course, they are making moves. They're going to push towards Odessa to the west there from uh, Kyrgyzstan, and uh, they're going to try to con take control of that because uh, it is an extremely important uh, port city there where they can send in um, they can send in all kinds of additional troops and supplies and things like that. We already see Russian warships moving through the Black Sea to eventually go over to Odessa and unload, you know, again, whatever equipment and soldiers and all of that that they're looking to do there. I was hoping Turkey would prevent this from happening. Turkey's not happy. You know, typically they are pretty close with Russia, but they were not happy about this invasion. There were still Turkish citizens there in Ukraine. And uh, it's obviously being carried out very sloppily, and, and they're unhappy about it. So there were reports early on that they were going to lock down the, 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 the Black Sea and not let people through the Strait of Gibraltar there. And uh, so we'll see if that can, if that is going to be a thing or not. I'm not sure that Turkey, even though they're upset about this, wants to get into an all-out conflict and, you know, and actual military exercises against Russia. So we'll see how that um, that progresses. So, the, But I will say the good news is that Kyrgyzstan was one of the most southern cities of Ukraine. It was right outside of Crimea. So they really, and not to mention, they really had no real troop Ukrainian troop presence in that city. They didn't have any uh, protection from the Ukrainian troops there. It's a relatively small city, quarter million of people where Kiev has four million people, uh, obviously very, um, you know, very relatively small compared to Kiev, Lviv, and, and many of the other, in Odessa and Kharkiv and, and, and cities like that. So this, of course, because of the, the size of the city and the location, it literally was right there where Russian, Russian really was able to launch their strongest attack um, force and uh, you know, their strongest moving front was there in the south. And a lot of it was because they already controlled Crimea, so they were able to really launch a major attack there. Not to mention it was a small city, and, and there were very few troops there. They're all in the east. They're all up by Kiev. So it really was going to be the easiest city for them to take, and it still took them, what, nine days of war to take control of that city. So they really are moving slowly. They really are struggling. As of midday on Wednesday, approximately 82% of the 150,000 Russian troops had been deployed into Ukraine. That main convoy is where you're seeing a lot of those soldiers. Um, and that is, so you, a lot of the, the forces are concentrated there north of Kiev. I mean, they're saying it's stretching about 40 miles long, that convoy is. Um, but over the last several days, really since about Monday, you know, once once we got into the week, once we ended the weekend, that, that, that force really has not moved at all. That 40-mile convoy, the goal, I believe, is to isolate Kiev from the remainder of the country, to block off the eastern forces uh, from the capital, and essentially surround the, the capital and um, kind of bleed them dry that way. But they, that convoy cannot move. They cannot get down uh, south enough. They're still about 15 miles north, maybe even a little bit more of Kiev. And they need to get a little bit closer so they can then circle and set up a barricade and, and completely cut off Kiev from the rest of the country. But they've really, really struggled to do that. And I'm going to... Um, 
and, but that, I'm going to lay out here, here why I think they're struggling to do that, but it's clear that they really want to put, make that final push to get into Kiev, and that's their main objective right now, which is why it's so interesting that they aren't able to accomplish that. I think you can expect an increase in artillery as the Russian forces attempt to move into Kiev and the other cities as well, and we're already seeing that they were firing roughly 60 missiles a day uh, across the country, and that is going to increase and has already increased as they are trying to make this final push. We've already, you know, some reports are saying 500, 800 dead civilians. I'm thinking it's closer. It's over 2000 at this point. Um, so I really do think the destruction is, is horrific. I think it's going to only continue and get worse and get bloodier as they enter these cities and try to enter these cities. But the reason I think they're struggling so much is that, as I alluded to on yesterday's show, the Russian soldiers, A, they don't want to be there, but B, they didn't even know what they were signing up for. Many of them, they thought they were in a training exercise. You have reports of text messages going back and forth between Russian soldiers and their parents and their moms saying, I don't want to do this. This is horrible. We're killing innocent people. And I had no idea what I was even signing up for. And then, of course, their, their comrades and brothers are dropping dead around them. So we're seeing things, and, and so that, I think the morale is extremely low. Uh, I've already seen reports of several abandoned tanks, tanks where they didn't even, they didn't even, they weren't uh, disabled, they weren't destroyed, they just gave up, they just fled. We've seen multiple reports of Russians fleeing. We've seen multiple reports of Russians being captured. Many of them are dying. We're seeing dozens and dozens of helicopters and planes be shot out of the sky uh, with a lot of these Stinger missiles that are from, you know, that are surface-to-air to uh, missiles, essentially um, very powerful rocket launchers, if you will, for those of you who don't really know what I'm talking about. Um, so I, I, I really... Um I don't think that these uh, these soldiers are really in the fight. We've heard them yelling, yelling at each other, yelling at commanders, asking where the food is, where the fuel is, and many are outright saying they are not fighting. They're refusing to press forward, and um, we've seen reports of them, you know, shooting holes or, or putting holes, puncturing holes into the gas tanks of their own vehicles, so they run out. We have to also remember that this is, um, you know, you have to remember that it is. Very, very cold there. It's a, it's a cold country in general, but it's also still winter time, and they're they're going to be very cold. And, and uh, I've talked to some soldiers. I talked to Lieutenant Colonel William Prophet recently, and uh, yesterday afternoon, and he was saying that he but he believes and knows that soldiers, when they're in this situation, they're going to do whatever they can to, to uh, stay warm. So you have this forty mile long convoy, and it's just sitting there idling, which means they're burning gas. Um, a lot of these big vehicles, they burn. They can burn. Uh, you know. You're looking at like 10, 10, um, you know, 10 miles to the gallon. You're you're, you're looking at really, really bad. Um, you know, they they they're, they're going to able to they're going to be able to burn through that gas really quickly, even if they're sitting idle because of these these big giant vehicles really do burn up a lot of fuel. So if they're running out of fuel, they're running out of food, they're running out of ammo. That seems to be what is happening. Uh, the supply line is really bad. These those. You do not want those vehicles sitting there idle and burning gas. You want them to get up to the front line where you're going to launch your attack from, drop off the supplies, and go back and refuel. And if you can't go back and refuel, you're going to run out of food. You're going to run out of fuel, and you're going to run out of ammo. And these the, the morale is already, already really low, and I think it's only going to continue to deteriorate as the situation gets worse, as more Russians die. I, I don't understand, you know, when the when we look at the coverage on social media, we look at the coverage on the legacy media, we don't know. We, we're not getting any information as to why that that convoy has stopped. What is happening? We all want to know. At least those of us very invested in this. Why? What is happening in that front line? What is happening? Why cannot they? Can, why can they not move forward? Um, I imagine there's some types of barricades that they're dealing with that the Ukrainians set up. I imagine they're also 
hitting the front of that convoy and blowing those tanks up, blowing those armored vehicles up, blowing up those transport vehicles, and um, really fight. The Ukrainian military must be really fighting them at that front line and, and putting maximum pressure on them and to prevent them from moving forward. Otherwise, I don't see what would be slowing them down. If you're talking about traveling maybe one or two miles in four or five days, that you know, four days, that's really you're, you're not making good progress there. It can't just be because of barricades. It can't just be because of running out of supplies, though. Barricades, I'm sure, are playing a factor, and supplies are really going to, in the lack thereof, is really going to play a factor in the very near future. We really have to hope that, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't need the Ukrainians to win the war. We just need them to not lose the war. What if the U.S. is not going to get involved in this conflict? We really are just praying that you, Russian, the Russian soldiers are essentially going to give up and and and, and retreat because of the lack of supplies, because of the death, because they don't actually care about this, and this this conflict could go on for weeks months, maybe even years. And if that is the case, if they don't, if they're not able to um, cut off the head of the Ukrainian snake, if you will, in near, in the near future, I'd see this being in a very extended conflict. And I don't think that's what Russia or the Russian soldiers have signed up for. I don't think that's what they're going to do. So we're hoping that they give up. We're hoping that they run out. We're hoping that they continue to sustain losses. And that's what's going to really, uh, you know, move things along in the favor of the Ukrainians. I really do think the situation there at that uh, that northern front is only going to get worse. These, these these so I don't. I mean, I wouldn't want to be out in the cold for for excuse me days at a time, even if I didn't have the the risk of dying and being bombed and all of that. So I really do think they are struggling for a number of reasons. They will move up from the south to try to help circle uh, Kiev and, and do that. But again, they've only moved. They haven't even captured Odessa. They've only captured one southern city. And I mean, if you're looking at like, you know, look at Ukraine almost as like an oval um, on its side. Um, that's not exactly how it's shaped. But that's, you know, just to give you a general idea. I mean, they are maybe 10, 5 or 10 percent up from the southern border as far as the land that they've occupied. So they really have so, so far to go. Not to mention they have another a number of other um, cities that they have to that they have to capture, strategically speaking, that are going to slow them down. That's going to take a while. They're going to sustain more losses. So I don't think the northern forces can really count on those southern forces getting up there to reinforce them and help them encircle and cut off Kiev anytime soon. Again, it took them nine days to just move up like the very slightest amount against some of the, the weakest cities, uh, relatively speaking, there in Ukraine. So I just don't see them moving up uh, very quickly. And I don't, so I don't think they can count on that. So I'm, I really do think that the northern that Northern force is going to be solely responsible for taking control of Kiev. If that ever happens, I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to sustain this for weeks and, and, and sustain their supplies, especially if it goes even on even longer than that. Um, and it doesn't seem like they're having any progress trying to encircle, uh, Kiev. I think a lot of people are worried that the, the plan is to basically create a barricade, a blockade and, and cut them off and, and maybe even starve them out. But that I, I spoke to the lieutenant, the lieutenant colonel yesterday, and he does not think that a that they're going to wait and try to do it that way. They think that they're going to take the city again. Putin already wants wanted this to be over, so he's not going to want to draw this out even longer. Not to mention there will be holes in the blockade. They're not going to go access to access. There will be gaps, which means the Ukrainian soldiers can can send uh, platoons or can send. Uh, and send groups out in the middle of the night to, to basically wreak havoc on the Russian soldiers, only making their situation even worse. The Russian soldiers at night will just hunker down. They're not fighting at all. So we need those Ukrainian uh, you know, tactical groups to go out and, and, and blow things up, take their weaponry, kill them while they are just hunkering down and trying to get through the night, not to mention they can't fight at night. So we really need to get them 
obviously we need to get them those anti-aircraft, anti-tank weapons, those stingers, which we are already doing. But we also need to get them night vision goggles and, and equipment because the Russians are not fighting at night. So we and, and so we could the Ukrainians could really get an advantage if they're willing to go out and mess with them at night. Not to mention, even with a relatively strong barricade or blockade, there will still be holes. Like as I mentioned, they would not be access to access. So you're still going to be able to get soldiers out and in. You're still going to be able to get supplies in and out. So you're not going to be able to completely cut them off, even though they could make it more difficult. We're still just pumping, funneling supplies in there uh, overnight as I speak, continuing to happen. And that's a big part of how the Ukrainians are able to fight back. A Hercules C-130 transport aircraft carrying around 2,000 anti-tank missiles for Ukraine departed Norway on Thursday. According to the AP, it's already in Ukraine. It's already in Kiev. I've already seen images and videos of them taking those anti-aircraft and tank missiles off of the plane, moving them over to uh, Ukraine, thanks to Germany and Norway. Germany, Germany's uh, economy ministry approved sending 2,700 anti-aircraft missiles to Ukraine. So love to see Norway getting involved. Love to see Germany involved, especially since Joe Biden doesn't want to get, get his thumb out of his ass and actually go help. He keeps saying, oh, we need money. We need, we need, we need to do this. We need to do that. And it just doesn't seem like they're actually, uh, they, they don't, there's no sense of urgency on their side, uh, which is ridiculous because I've never seen a more urgent situation in my lifetime. The Russians, uh, you know, though, I, I think... Really, for me, and what what I want to talk about moving forward is how America is responding, how the West is responding, and how long the West and Americans are going to be willing to sit back and watch this destruction and genocide. These are, you know, I would say the vast majority of deaths are actually civilians, and it's all coming from that artillery uh, shelling. They're not, the Russians are not using precise weapons. They do not know what they're hitting when they launch these different, um, this weaponry. They know that they're aiming for civilian areas, but they don't know where those are going to come down. So there's obviously war crimes happening. Biden was too big of a vagina to stand up and say, yes, there are war crimes happening when he was questioned about it. So he's not a serious person. He's not serious about protecting the Ukrainians. He does not care about them. He does not care if they die. He's doing the bare minimum, leading from behind, doing doing actually less than what Europe, Europe is doing, but he only actually springs into action when Europe does something that he feel like he has to go along with them because of the fact that we're allies. So we're seeing lots of civilians dying, lots and lots of civilians dying, um, civilians being forced underground, uh, and I don't know how long the American people are going to be able to put up with this, especially if it gets worse, which, of course, it is going to. Two independent news outlets who have refused to tow the Kremlin's line following Russia's invasion of Ukraine were forced off the air this week. Russian authorities accuse Echo Moskvi, one of the country's oldest radio stations in Dozid, Russia's top independent TV channel, of false information regarding the actions of the Russian military personnel and part of the special operations. So these news outlets in Russia are essentially just reporting what's happening on the ground, and so they're being banned because of that. Uh, obviously due to the fact that these are atrocities and war crimes being committed and the Russian people are already against it. They're already unhappy that their Russian uh, brothers and, uh, and uh, are dying on the battlefield. And they, they don't want the Ukrainians to die either for the most part because they're very close. The countries are very close to each other. So they're already not happy about this. And if they continue to see what the West is seeing, they're going to become even less happy, uh, uh, happy about it. I think a lot of people who don't want the U.S. to get involved too much militarily but are hoping this conflict ends, they're talking about the Russian people stepping up and, I don't know, overthrowing Putin or putting enough pressure on him for him to end this. That's not going to happen. 
he can he can crush those protests. You know, if he can invade an entire country and do this, he's he's going to do whatever he wants to his own people. So I really, I mean, obviously we want them to put put as much pressure on him as possible. But if you think that the Russians are going to overthrow Putin and be able to stop him, you're it's a it's a ridiculous notion. It's never going to happen. But that's what they're. I mean, I guess that's what they're uh, they're hoping for. I guess really the only really the only hope, other than uh, the, uh, other than America getting it in the West getting involved, is you just have to hope that those Russian forces lay down their arms, which of course is possible. I just described all the conditions on the ground. There's already massive discontent, discontent among the ranks, and I think it's only going to get worse. But w- we'll see. I just don't. I just don't. I mean, I guess we can hope and pray that the Russians will just give up. But um, that doesn't seem like a very sound military strategy. Biden called out Russia for targeting civilians and continued to uh, express his support. Um, he said uh, it's clear they are targeting civilians, except he wouldn't call it a war crime. I don't understand why. He says we're going to do, we're doing everything we can to help Zelensky and the Ukrainians. That's just not true. They haven't even sanctioned the energy sectors. There are still multiple Russian banks that haven't been cut off from SWIFT. Many private businesses are going ahead and, and refusing to do business with Russia. Uh, which is really providing additional sanctions on top of what the Biden administration is doing. And that's really where they're getting hit is because these private corporations are doing this. Chelsea FC's, uh, com- uh, the, uh, one of the Russian oligarchs who is the owner has announced he's selling his, his, the club. Um, you've seen multiple yachts and, and uh, condos and things like that of Russian oligarchs seized in foreign countries, whether France or Germany. We're going to do that here in the United States, but it could be a prolonged process because of how, you know, how slow moving our judicial system is for, for better or for worse. So, you know, they say they're doing a lot, but they're, they're, they're doing everything they can. That's just not true. Again, Biden is doing the bare minimum. And uh, I just laid out why, you know, how it's obvious that that's not happening. But it is clear that they are um, targeting civilians. A Russian missile landed near Kiev's central train station on Wednesday. Uh, the strike came down after the came uh, came after sundown. There were no immediate injuries. Um, sources say it fell about 300 to 400 meters from the train station. I say that's about 300, 400 yards. Ukrainian defense forces have been setting up makeshift uh, fortifications and barricades as military checkpoints. Searched incoming cars for Russian saboteurs. The attack came as Russian strikes on civilian infrastructure have intensified. So it's obvious that they're going after civilians. And if they keep doing this, I just don't know how long the American people uh, are going to put up with this. Uh, a lot of Americans say, you know what, I don't want to get, we don't want to be the world's police. We don't want to get involved in foreign uh, crises. We don't want to get involved in a war. We don't want to put boots on the ground. But then they start seeing images of uh, our allies in, you know, civilized, westernized people being brutalized like this. And, and their threshold is they don't have a very strong threshold for seeing that type of stuff it's because we're, you know, we're a um, we're a softened people. And when you see those types of atrocities occurring and we know that we can stop it because of our force and our power, um, very quickly, Americans can shift to uh-uh, we're not putting up with this anymore. And if this continues for another week or two, I could easily see public sentiment turning against staying out of this war. And I think, honestly, that would be a good thing at this point. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more here um, in, in, the, in the near future. We really do need to focus on getting those innocent people out of there. If their main you know strategy is going to be artillery shelling and targeting civilians, we need to get as many civilians out of there as possible. Republican and Democratic senators agree. You got bipartisan support uh, for urging the Biden administration to grant protections from deportation to Ukrainians already in the country. 
Uh, we also need to set up um, humanitarian lanes to get people out of there as soon as possible. We've already seen one million refugees flee Ukraine, according to the UN. I, this has to be the worst refugee crisis uh, that we that the, the world has ever seen. Um, I mean, you've seen these types of numbers of refugees before, but you've never seen it happen in nine, ten days. You've never seen a million people flee a country in about a week period. Um, but that is what we need to be doing. We need to get those people out of there. It's ridiculous that mothers and children are still um, hiding in the cities because it's just not safe for them. And if they're not going to be fighting, then they're just sitting ducks. There's no point in them being there. I understand it's difficult and dangerous to try to flee the country, but that's what they should have done. And I think it, it was very doable for all of them. But getting all non-combatants out of the cities, so then everyone who is remaining in the city can solely focus on fighting, I think is the best way to move forward. Um, and a lot of Americans don't want to get involved because they say, you know, we don't want to, to, a World War III. We don't want a direct conflict with Russia because of the escalation could cause World War III. Uh, but it's obvious that World War III is already here. They're already The war has already started. When you declare war against one of our allies, that is a that is you declaring war against us. We don't just because we're not shooting bullets at each other doesn't mean we're not already at war. Um, not to mention, uh, it's pretty obvious that at least in my mind that this is not going to stop with Ukraine. So I it just it's like where where is the line? Just because one of our we don't have a treaty with a country that's an ally, uh, a treaty that you know we're not treaty bound to protect them in this in such in this types of situations doesn't mean we shouldn't be protecting them. Alexei. Uh, Ghana Cherenko claimed he implored the U.S. to provide the country with weapons. He also said Ukrainians would give Russian President Vladimir Putin hell if he invades Kiev. On Fox and Friends, first Fo uh, Fox News's Trace Gallagher noted that the U.S. is hesitant to put American troops in Ukraine because it might lead to World War III, to which I'm just going to call him Alexei replied that World War III had World War III had already started. Quote, the World War III already started. If somebody doesn't see it, it's their problem. The lawmaker said it's war not against Ukraine, but against the whole free world. And that is the message coming out of Ukraine across the board now. I think they understand that America and the West are very reluctant to get involved. So they're pushing the they're pushing the uh, the talking point that World War III is already here and Putin is not going to stop with Ukraine, which I believe he's absolutely right. World War III is already here. And he's not going to stop with Ukraine. Why would he stop with Ukraine? If he's able to successfully invade Ukraine and the West did nothing as far as mil the military is concerned, why would he think any differently? Uh, because you have the same people who are saying we shouldn't get involved now because we don't want a direct conflict with you, you know, even though they're invading Ukraine. They can invade Poland and that logic is going to be the same. Well, he's invading Poland, but we don't want to get involved because we don't want to be in a direct conflict, right? What changes? Just because that country is in NATO and now there's a treaty? Screw it. You don't have to follow that treaty if you don't want to. And then these people don't think we should get involved. So they're going to they're not going to care what treaties were signed if they really don't think we should be involved. So I'm really not sure why we're waiting to get more militarily involved in the conflict. Um, I've already explained why other people don't want to. But like I said, just because we're not firing bullets doesn't mean we're not at war. We should absolutely send our troops in. We need more troops in Europe. We need more troops on that NATO front line. And we need to send troops and military personnel into Ukraine. It's time to fight Russia. They're already fighting us and we're just sitting back and letting it happen. Uh, we would absolutely kick their asses and, and, and we would absolutely um, level the forces there in Ukraine. Hell, the Ukrainians are kicking the Russians' asses and they're, um, you know, it, it, it's, you know, that's ridiculous. If you compare the Ukrainian army to our army, it's like comparing a 12-year-old girl to Mike Tyson. It's obviously not a fair matchup. And 
if Putin tries to go nuclear, we will turn all of Russia into glass. We will level the entire country. We will destroy them. Yes, we would probably end up with a lot of Americans dead, but we, we would kill every single Russian, including Putin. And uh, I just don't think that's something that he's ever going to ratchet up to. But as I was saying earlier, the same people who are against getting involved right now militarily, they would say the same thing if Putin invaded NATO because their logic will extend even if Putin does invade NATO. They will still say we don't want to get involved because it's too dangerous. There's nukes on Russian side. So apparent so I, I essentially I guess for them, they just don't want to ever get involved. I don't think they, there's any line that Putin can cross that will make them want to get involved unless they all decide to change their minds. And uh, but I also, but I think invading, you know, they, you know, maybe there's a line that they could cross. Maybe invading Poland is the line. Maybe invading a NATO country is the line. But I, I think invading a Western civilized country and murdering thousands of innocent men, women, and children and continuing to do so, I think that's a pretty big line that they've already crossed. Um, and I do think we could end this quickly, and I don't think um, Putin would launch nukes or anything like that. I don't think he, he I don't think he's suicidal. I think he's just power hungry. And uh, But we're a nation of cowards, and we don't want to get involved, unfortunately. I guess the people who are against getting involved think and hope that the pressure from sanctions uh, will make Russia give up. But the sanctions, are, I would say, are probably ratcheted up to about a 90% of what the government sanctions can can implement. Um, and I don't think putting in that extra 10% is going to make them stop. These sanctions up to this point are pretty crippling, and, and, and they haven't made them stop at all. In fact, they've pressed harder. Um, so I don't think those sanctions are going to work. They said the sanctions were going to stop them from invading. That didn't happen. They said the sanctions, once they were in place, were going to make them not invade anymore. Don't think that's going to happen. If they're going to give it a month and see, like Biden said he was going to give it a month and see what the sanctions had done. If they give it a month, Ukraine will not exist anymore. Putin will be in control. And at that point, the sanctions won't really matter because the war will have been be over, at least on the Ukrainian front, the Ukrainian front. So uh, I'm not I'm not really sure. I, I just don't think that's going to happen. Also, what if I guess they're also hoping the Ukrainian military and the Ukrainian people can hold them back, which I think they have a good shot at. I really do. I think they have a good shot at holding them back long enough for the Russians to give up. But what if they don't? What if they fail? What if they lose? What if Putin wins and Ukraine has completely taken over and tens of thousands of civilians and Ukrainian soldiers are murdered? What happens then? Will we? How, how long? How many civilians die before America decides to get involved? How many civilians will die while America just sits by and watches and we say, nope, that's acceptable. We don't, we're going to let those people die. Screw them because we don't want to get involved. Um, if the answer is yes, we're going to sit by and let those people die, then the people on the left and people on the, the right even who are, which is most, I would really just say most people are in general are against our military getting directly involved. They're, then they're saying that they're okay sacrificing Ukraine. They're okay sacrificing the Ukrainian people in order to keep their hands clean. And that seems to be the main position right now. If you're against military troops getting involved, especially when this gets worse and worse and more and more civilians die, it seems you don't care about those civilians and you don't, or at least you don't care enough to try to help them. And uh, it certainly seems like you don't care about the country. You don't care about uh, preventing this with this is gen the genocide. I mean, if you're killing civilians that are unarmed, it's it's genocide. There's no other way around it. Uh, so it just seems like, um, you know, that the, the, the commentary, um, you know, the, the, the elite who can, you know, are basically on social media and are on, uh, the, you know, the commentary elite that are on 
TV all the time. They just don't seem to have any interest in getting involved because, you know, I guess they're cowards. I don't think the American people will have any interest in staying out and watching these the entire country, this entire country get slaughtered. And um, I think if we do somehow just sit back and let this happen and continue to happen, I think we will certainly look back with regret and remorse. And um, I think we will know what we did. We sat behind. I know so many people have always said, I can't believe what they let Hitler, you know, take over so much of Europe. I can't believe they let Hitler do all these things. If I was alive back then, I would have never supported that. Well, this is Hitler 2.0. This is World War Three, And we're sitting back and letting um, letting uh, letting Putin do exactly what Hitler did back in the day. So those people are full of shit. Uh, and I really don't think it has to get much worse before Americans will want to get involved. Uh, CBS Morning, and you even have liberals already kind of saying, hey, what are we going to do here? When are we going to get involved? CBS Morning's ho Morning host Gail King pressed Vice President, Pre Vice President Kamala Harris on whether or not the United States would ever send troops to Ukraine during a Wednesday morning interview. King asked Harris what it might take to make Biden reconsider the pledge not to send American troops to Ukraine, but Harris did not uh, deviate from the president's language. Quote, I hear you on that, but those images are heartbreaking to watch. We see innocent civilians being killed. We see children being killed. And the administration has made it clear there will be no boots on the ground, King pressed. What will it take? Will anything change that? Will we stand by and watch innocent people continue to be killed here? That's a great question, and I can't believe a liberal is asking it, but she is. And if she's asking it, you know a lot of Americans are asking it. Kamala Harris responded, well, Gail, you're obviously right, absolutely right. It's heart-wrenching. It's heartbreaking. The image of a missile that fell struck just right next to a children's playground, the playground, the Ukrainians who are as civilians taking up defense of their nation out of pride and also an understanding of what it is at stake in terms of their vita vitality and independence. So it's heart-wrenching to be sure. Okay, well, that's not really a response. She just said, yeah, it's sad and it's unfortunate. Okay, so it's sad and unfortunate, but we're just going to let it happen. Is that what you're saying? Like how sad and how unfortunate and how hor horrific does that to become before we get involved? She's not going to give an answer on that, of course. But not only are they signaling and explicitly refusing and, and condemning the option of getting involved, they're actually canceling or at least postponing regular military training exercises that have been scheduled far before um, this ever went down. The Pentagon postponed a planned test this week for Minuteman 3 intercontinental ballistic missile amid signs of nuclear tensions with Russia. Quote, today I want to talk a little bit about something that we are not going to do, Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby said during a Wednesday briefing. And I want to explain why last weekend, as you saw, President Putin directed a special alert of Russian nuclear forces. Now, in this time of heightened tensions, the United States and other members of the international community rightly saw this as a dangerous and irresponsible and irresponsible, and as I've said before, an unnecessary step. So they don't want to test one of their missiles, their intercontinental ballistic missile, because I don't know. I, I, they're afraid of Putin, I guess. So not only are they refusing to, to really help the Ukrainians to the full extent of their power and ability, they're actually refusing to, they're actually signaling to Putin, hey, like, we are cowards, we are a paper tiger, we are not going to get involved at all, we're actually not even going to test our own missiles because we're afraid of you. So Putin has Biden running with his tail between his legs, and it really is sad, but that's what you get when you elect a Democrat. Democrats are not tough, they don't know anything about war, they're not willing to fight, and um, they don't care about uh, the, the people around the world being subjected to this, clearly. Otherwise, they would be doing more. 
And it's pretty obvious considering this always happens under Democratic leadership. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said Monday on social media after pointing out that Ukrainian pre uh, that President Biden, I should say, was the vice president the last time Russia decided to invade Ukraine. Quote, I was at the State Department. The president was the vice president the last time Russia invaded Ukraine. This is, th this is a pattern of horror from President Putin and from cronies around him. Yeah, it is a pattern. It, how funny is it that when Joe Biden's president, Putin decides to invade? When last time he decided to invade, Joe Biden was vice president and Barack Obama was president, who was just as weak and soft uh, you know, and, jelly, and had much of a jelly spine as uh, Biden himself. And huh, funny, they didn't invade under Donald Trump. Very interesting. Yeah, we, we all know that there's a pattern here. It's the pattern is that the enemies and the evil actors across the world are not afraid of liberals and Democrats when they are in power. And it's just so sad to me because I keep saying, oh, you know, you know, all these people are like, oh, we shouldn't get involved. We shouldn't get involved. We shouldn't get involved. But eventually we're going to have to get involved because Putin is not stopping with Ukraine. So why would we let him get more power and kill more innocent people when we're going to have to get involved no matter what? Do they really think that you, because the same people, they don't, the same people who are saying we shouldn't get involved, they don't think the Ukrainians can win. These people know that Russia is too powerful. They know that the Ukrainians can't win. And um, so I guess they're just willing to sacrifice and then pray that Putin doesn't attack any other countries. But if he's in, he will be very much emboldened by taking Ukraine. And of course he will attack other countries and then we'll have to get involved anyway. So we're going to be involved in this conflict no matter what. We should do it from a place of strength, not a place of weakness. And we should do it while we can still protect the thousands of innocent, uh, really the millions of innocent Ukrainians there in Ukraine. Uh, President Zelensky just released a statement. He told Fox News, it's a pity U.S. support came after Russian war began. It is indeed. And it's a pity that that support really doesn't, it continues to not come. Uh, and if, like I said, if you think Putin is planning to stop with Ukraine, I have a bridge to sell you. And, you know, we should get in contact so I can sell you that to you immediately. The Swedish Armed Forces said that four Russian fighter jets briefly entered Swedish airspace over the Baltic Sea Wednesday. If you think this is just a coincidence, you've got another thing coming. In the quote, in the light of the current situation, we view the event, this event very seriously. They said on their website, noting the jets were located east of the Swedish island of Gotland. The news, the news comes as speculation has grown that Nordic countries such as Finland, Sweden may consider joining NATO, a move that Russian President Vladimir Putin has warned would come with serious military political consequences. So he's, I mean, violating the airspace, that's essentially an act of war. So uh, clearly, and those aren't NATO countries, so we're not going to do anything about it. But clearly he has no plan on stopping with Ukraine. Otherwise, he wouldn't be making moves like this. Uh, not to mention, we also saw another concerning uh, tidbit that points to uh, the further escalation of the war and a further advancement of Putin's uh, troops. The, uh, the Moldovan ambassador to the U.S. said Wednesday his country is prepared to defend its borders if Russia or Belarus were to invade the former Soviet Republic. Quote, the country is prepared for any kind of scenarios, including the very worst case scenario. Ambassador Ijun Karas told Fox News in an exclusive interview. So we will be defending what's to be defended. So they're not going to lay down without a fight. And um, the reason he's so concerned is because a day earlier, video surfaced showing Belarusian President Alexander Lyshenko standing on in front of a map that appeared to indicate Moldovan breakaway state uh, of Transcentria as a potential potential next target. Karas said the Belarusians told Moldovan officials that the placement of Moldova on the map was a mistake. So there literally was an Im imagery of a, of a map where it looked like they were, had Moldova as the next target, as you know, one of the European, uh, the Eastern Bloc countries right there on the border with Ukraine. Um, the Biden president, I should say the Biden administration says they are just, they're trying to seek at least $10 billion from Congress to assist the Ukrainian growing humanitarian crisis and defense assistance. Who knows how long that'll take to get approved? Who knows how long it'll take to get that equipment actually into 
uh, into Ukraine. Obviously, any equipment is, is very helpful. It's just sad that the Europeans are the ones actually providing it and the U.S. are just talking about it. But again, I just don't know. The, how, I don't know if it matters how much equipment we get into them. It's not going to be. I don't think it's going to be enough to combat the Russians. Uh, we'll hope. We'll see. The only hope is that this lasts long enough that Russia gives up. But if Russia doesn't give up, you know, this is going to be a very long and bloody war with, with many civilian deaths, unfortunately. Uh, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. Uh, said Thursday that Moscow is ready for peace talks, but will press its effort to destroy Ukraine's military infrastructure. So basically, Lavrov said, we want to end the war, we want peace, but the only way that they're going to give them peace is that the Ukrainians basically surrender and destroy their military infrastructure, which would be ridiculous because then Russia could just come in the next day and completely take over the country, especially if there's no military involved. So there will be no peace, unfortunately. This is going to have to end organically. We're going to have to see... We're going to have to see uh, the Russians give up uh, or Putin surrender or Putin just level the, the country. There's, I really don't see any other option. I think either Putin's going to have to retreat or the Russian soldiers are going to have to give up uh, or they're going to have to level the entire country. I don't see any other option at this point. And I don't think Putin is going to give up. His soldiers might give up, but hoping that the Russian soldiers quit, soldiers quit and lay down their arms is not a very good strategy. Uh, because they might not quit on Wednesday. Uh, so the Biden administration has been really bad on this. They did do something that was kind of good. So I have to give credit where credit is due. On Wednesday, a visiting delegation from the United States said the U.S. is standing in its commitment to Taiwan as Russia continues to invade Ukraine. Well, at least they're helping. They're going to do something maybe to help one country. The United States stands firmly behind its commitments to Taiwan, a visiting U.S. delegation said on Wednesday. It's really good to, sh to signal that, to signal that we are going to work closely with our allies with Taiwan to uh, combat China's growing military threat. Um, I, I think it's a good move, but it still is mainly symbolic. We need to arm Taiwan more so than we already have done. We need to put military personnel on the ground immediately um, because that is going to signal like, hey, you can't get involved with with Taiwan in a, in, a, in a conflict or you are directly involved with us. That's what we should have done. We should have soldiers and military personnel in Ukraine so Putin would have never invaded because then he would have been the one making the decision to go into an all-out war with the United States and the West, and he would have never done that. Um, and he doesn't want that to happen now, and he doesn't think it's going to happen now because he knows we're cowards, and he knows that the West, um, you know, is the, the, he knows that symbolic gestures is the way of the West now, unfortunately. Um, so he knows we're not going to get involved, and uh, that's why he wasn't worried about invading Ukraine, which is exactly why he did it. And what and we did have a um, again another very symbolic gesture, but at least it's historical, I guess. Not that it's going to actually save anyone's lives. In what the United Nations dubbed an historic uniting peace session, the UN General Assembly adopted a resolution which demanded that Putin's Russian Federation immediately cease its use of force against the Ukraine withdrawal. 141 countries voted in favor of the resolution. Five countries voted against Belarus, North Korea, Eritrea, uh, which is a horrible name of a for a country, Russia and Syria all uh, voted against the measure, which is good because the last time back in 2014... When Putin invaded, there were like 64, 68 countries, something like that, that uh, voted against it. So a lot of people are moving in the right direction. A lot of countries are moving in the right direction. 30, 34 countries abstained from voting, which is still better than voting against. Algeria, Angola, Armenia, Bangladesh, Bolivia, uh, Central African Republic, China, Congo, Cuba, El Salvador, India, Iran, Iraq, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Laos, Madagascar, Mali, Mongolia, Mozambique, Nambia, Pakistan, Senegal, South Africa, South Sudan, Sri Lanka, Sudan, Uganda, Tanzania, Vietnam, and Zimbabwe were among the countries who abstained. So 
moving in the right direction, very historic, but doesn't actually accomplish anything. Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris also made it clear Wednesday that Joe Biden and his administration had no plans to change the strategy when dealing with Russia. Uh, Harris spoke to NBC's Savannah Guthrie, who questioned, saying, you know, is this strategy working? Are we going to continue it? She said, well, we are going to continue to do what we've done. For example, in the sanctions, it's been sanctions against their financial institutions, against their oligarchs, where we are targeting their uh, mansions and their jets. What we are going to continue to do is stand firm with our allies in terms of releasing what we are doing with sanctions. Okay, so you're going to just continue to do the same thing. Well, I mean, the, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again in the hopes of, uh, with a, of a different outcome. These sanctions are not working. They're having no effect. They're pissing Putin off, but I don't think that's going. You don't think I don't think pissing Putin off is going to make him less likely to press forward. But again, they have no interest in trying to uh, resolve this. Biden is at least not uh, with the use of military force or actual full-on sanctions. She's like, we're sanctioning them. Well, we haven't put in all the sanctions. Why not? Oh, I don't have an answer for that. He's Biden is Biden is extremely unpopular because of this exact thing because of his lack of leadership in important moments. He's not a good leader because he doesn't have two brain cells left to go, rub together. But he also is not a good leader because he doesn't know how to lead. He's not an inspiring figure. He cannot get people excited. He cannot rally the troops behind him. Uh, even when he was young and spry, he could not do that just because of his personality. He's boring. He's dry, and he but doesn't know anything about foreign policy. Um, so. You know, it's COVID. He didn't step up in that big moment. He had the vaccine, uh, and he couldn't he couldn't convince Americans to rally behind him. He couldn't convince Americans to get the vaccine because he's a bad leader. He's bad at messaging. He's bad at PR. They're just bad at all of this across the board, and and people know it, and that's why they're unhappy, and they're unhappy with his atrocious policy failures as well. And this is not just a conservative like me saying this. This is, I mean, the entire country agrees. President Biden's first official State of the Union is now in the books. Instant polling showed his remarks Tuesday evening received a less than enthusiastic response. The majority of Americans who watched, 71%, uh, did have at least somewhat positive reaction to the president's remarks. But of course, a lot of that's related to his comments on Ukraine. But those, if, but if we don't do anything and the situation there gets worse, those remarks are not going to age well. Of those forty-one, uh, of those forty-one percent polled said they felt very positive about Biden's remarks. Oh, forty-one percent uh, feel you know were very positive. Okay, that's good, right? No, according to CNN, Biden received the lowest very positive score. Uh, Let's see, in the 15 years that CNN has done the instant polling after the State of Union. So in the history of this instant polling, no one has had a worse reaction to their State of the Union than Biden. In 2018, when Trump gave his first address, he was at 48% uh, very positive. Obama was at 48% as well, very positive, where Biden's there down there at 41%. So he is less popular than, than Trump. He is less popular than Biden by a lot. He's already has lower approval ratings than uh, Trump ever had. And Trump was not very popular, uh, which is so that's pretty, uh, pretty crazy. Not to mention, um, I think as this situation spirals, he's only, his numbers are only going to be worse. They're trying to lie and cover up these numbers because they are atrocious for the president on Tuesday night. Uh, following the said the union, his chief of staff, Ron Klain, who is basically just a Twitter troll uh, professionally, uh, he boasted that according to CBS News poll, 78 percent of voters approved of the speech. When you look closer, though, you see that actually it wasn't 78 percent approved. It was 78 percent of voters watched the speech. Um, so lying there to try to make the president appear more popular. Uh, but there, there just isn't much enthusiasm behind Biden. There's also not a lot of enthusiasm behind Trump. And people, the American people do not want a 2020 presidential rematch. About a third of voters in a new poll 
32% say they want President Biden to run for re-election. 64% said no. So 64% of the country say they do not want Biden to run for re-election. That means he's, 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 he's dead. He's a ghost. You know, he, he, he's a dead man walking. There's no way he, he, he's politically done. It's over with. Um, and again, I think those numbers are only going to get worse. 40% want Trump to run and 56% say no. Uh, 56% isn't the death sentence the way 64% is. But if you're having the majority of Americans who don't even want you to run, uh, that's not going to result in a victory most likely. I guess Trump could win if he beat Biden, but that would just because, you know, Trump's like the second least popular president ever and Biden would be the least popular president ever. So he could beat him the way he beat Hillary. Um, but I think he has the worst shot of beating Biden out of anyone or beating the Democrats out of anyone. And uh, I don't, I honestly, if they can, I think Trump's going to run. I think if they can roll Biden out there, he's going to run too. But the, he, but the country really does not want that. Uh, and Trump's unpopular because of his personality. Biden is unpopular because of how old he is and how decrepit he is, but also because of his policies. So Trump's policies are popular, but his personality is not popular. Biden doesn't have a popular personality, and they were worried about people are worried about his health, and people don't like his policies. So that's why you only have about 30% of Americans supporting him, or you only have 30% of Americans saying he's doing a good job, which is crazy because. Um, you know, Trump was so unpopular, yet somehow he, Biden was still less popular. And the reason is not just because he's old, not just because he's decrepit, and not just because his policies are bad, but he doesn't care if his policies are bad. He knew what was going to happen when we pulled the troops out of Afghanistan, and he still did it. He still allowed for 13 American soldiers to die. He still allowed for um, abject slavery and 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 you know, for women and, and sex slavery for children and in the, the, the murdering of, of all kinds of innocent people over in Afghanistan. He knew that was going to happen and he didn't care because he's married to his policies. He's married to his beliefs. He thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, even though he's one of the dumbest people in the room. So he, he, he always, he refuses to pivot you know, pivoting doesn't always work as we've seen from Ross and friends. Um, sometimes there's nowhere to pivot, but Biden does have places to pivot too. And he refuses to do it. He refuses to adjust to public sentiment or, or, or change to, uh, based on the reality on the ground. He keeps doubling down on what people hate most about him, which for, which are his bad policies. And if you, you know, the American people tell you what they want and you can, ref you continue to refuse to give it to them, then, you know, don't be surprised when they remove you from office. On Ash Wednesday, President Joe Biden, supposedly a devout Catholic, def defended his support for abortion despite Roman Catholic Church teaching, prohibiting the faithful from supporting the murder of the unborn after a reporter asked him to explain his stance on the matter. An unnamed reporter asked the president in front of the White House why he supports abortion and Roe v. Wade if he is a Catholic. Quote, well, I tell you what, Biden said with a pause, I don't want to get in a debate with you on theology, but you know... Okay, so Biden clearly was annoyed with the question, but stopped short from going into an answer because his wife came and saved him. We all know Jill Biden, his wife, is actually the one running the country right now, along with wrong claim. He says, I'm not going to make a judgment on four other people, Biden concluded after a tug on his arm from his wife. So, you know, Biden is obviously not a Catholic, even though he came, claims to be one. You can't support abortion and be a Catholic. That's like supporting factory farming and being a vegan. It doesn't make any sense. You can't be eating cheeseburgers and claim to be vegan and claim to care about cows. You can't be a Catholic and claim to care about Catholic uh, theology and, and principles and, uh, and care about unborn children when you support the, the slaughter of unborn children. So, and that's the problem with him. He's full of shit and everyone knows it. Everyone knows he's a liar. Everyone knows that he says to be something and, he, and he's not. He's he says that things are going one way and they're not. He says the country is doing well and then they're not. And if you question it on it and say, well, people aren't happy, 
what is, why are people not happy? He will just say people are too stupid to be happy and they don't understand what I'm doing. And he just blames the American people instead of looking in the mirror and taking responsibility for uh, him, him, himself and his actions and his policies. And instead of accepting the fact that people don't like him, they don't like what he's doing, they don't like his policies, and maybe he should take a look at that and try to change some things in order to, to garner more approval, but he doesn't care. He's already president. He knows he's not going to be president again. And he's just going to stick to his guns, even though those guns are actually pointing right at his own face. Uh, President Joe Biden's admin warned on Wednesday that it will take immediate action if needed to protect children involved in transgender surgery procedures. Both the White House and Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra issued statements Wednesday evening condemning Governor Greg Abbott's direction to the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services to investigate the parents of children who have undergone so-called sex change procedures. Quote, this is government overreach at its worst, the Biden uh, Biden said in a statement, like so many anti-transgender attacks proliferating in the states across the country, the governor's actions callously threatened to harm children and their families just to score political points. No, this has nothing to do with political points. Greg Abbott and the Republicans in Texas actually support this. They believe in this. They know that genital, mutil, uh, genital mutilation for young children is absolutely child abuse. You hit a kid in the face, that's child abuse. If you cut off a kid's dick, that's child abuse, obviously. And they're going to just, they're going to prosecute it as child abuse. They say these actions are terrifying many families in Texas and beyond, and they must stop. Yeah, well, I'm glad they're terrifying families. You should not be allowed to mutilate your kid's genitals. You should not be able to chemically castrate a child. And you should not be able um, to force these, um, allow, uh, facilitate or force kids into getting these, uh, irreversible procedures done. They have no idea what they're signing up for. And it's just, it's completely inappropriate. Um, and, uh, we, I hope they get prosecuted. Absolutely. And of course, that is another issue where the American people are not on their side. The American people do not think that these children should be going through these procedures, should be forced uh, you know, into these procedures. Not to mention, they're not actually saying you can't be transgender. They're not saying that we should discriminate against transgender people in any way. They're just saying that these procedures that mutilate children's bodies are illegal. If you want to get the procedure done when you're an adult, you can do that, when you can actually make that decision. If you want to dress and identify as a, as a, as a whatever gender person, you can do that. They're not going to target you or kick you out of school or, or or do anything you know discriminatory to you like that they're just saying you have to wait until you're 18 to get these procedures done and if you don't the people who facilitate those procedures are going to be uh they're going to be charged and like i said it's just not an the american people are not on his side but he keeps pushing it anyways not to mention uh americans are completely done with covid completely done with masks and yet you still have people aligned with biden and cozy with biden and his administration and the media who are saying we need to continue to keep masks in place and it's crazy because Everyone's over it. We know they're over it. That's why Biden came out and said we don't need to do masks anymore, and that's what because of the polling, and that's why they're they're going to reduce all these uh, they're going to reduce all these requirements. And as mask mandates are lifted nationally, Time Magazine published an opinion article on Monday about masking up even after it's no longer required. Quote, uh, the article says, while the federal mask mandate for transportation such as buses, trains, and planes is set to expire on March 18th, health correspondent Jimmy uh, Ducharme argued on behalf of extending the mandate or at least promoting mask wearing as a good idea. And the article titled, quote, why you should keep wearing a mask on planes even when you no longer have to. The quote, there's plenty of potential for exposure in the airport, such as when people remove their masks or eat a drink at the gate. Um, that alone makes wearing a mask a good thing while traveling. I mean, if you're a, a, you know, a, little, you know, a little bitch and you want to wear a face mask in the airport or on an airplane, I don't have any issue with that. Go ahead and wear a mask. Uh, there are a lot of germs in, in airports and in airplanes, uh, but no one's actually catch, caught COVID on an airplane, so I don't know why you would need a face mask. But if you want to wear a face mask, I don't have any issue with that. Just don't force your ideology on other people, and you're going to be fine. But 
Again, this is not popular, and they're continuing to push it. It's the opposite. This is the opposite of where the country's at, but it's where Biden and his politicians are at because that's who they are. And uh, they're going to continue to push these unpopular policies and positions while the the politicians who are actually going to be successful and are actually liked um, are going to continue to move in the exact opposite direction. In fact, some of them have already been on the other side of that spectrum for years now, like Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, who should be the Republican nominee. He's, he's very intelligent. He stands up to the media. He stands up to liberals, uh, but he does it in a way that's not so abrasive that's going to turn everyone off the way Trump does. He's basically trump light. And that's exactly what we need. We need someone who's going to be tough, who's going to stand up for what's right, and who's going to govern the way they talk, um, which I think he does even more so than Trump, but also who's going to get elected, where I really think Trump could struggle with that, especially if he's up against anyone other than Biden. Recently, Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis shared a video release on Tuesday that his statements, uh, that his state, I should say, Surgeon General has put out new guidance for Florida workers to provide freedom from mass requirements. Simply relying on outdated CDC guidance when the experience has completely undercut that is not really a reasonable thing to do at this point. He said a 9 to 5 job should not be an N95 job. Um, so he's been very popular all along because he's made it illegal to, to allow these mask mandates to go into place and he's going to continue to push that. And I know this seems obvious, but the politicians who do what the American people want, who uh, defend kids and who uh, defend parents and who are uh, you know are against this COVID hawkishness, who want to protect our, our borders, who want to protect our allies abroad, those are the ones who are going to get elected. Those are the ones who are going to continue to be popular and those are Republicans, not Democrats. And that's why we are set to see, I don't know, 50, 60 seat swing in the House, the Democrats, the Republicans taking back the uh, the Senate as well. And uh, we're going to take back school boards and, and, and state houses or increase our, our position in the state houses and likely take the White House as long as Trump is not the nominee. So Republicans keep it up. Democrats keep it up as well because it's really uh, good for the right to see this happening, even though it is unfortunately bad for the country. All right, folks, that's it from us today. Make sure you go over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, leave a review, listen to every episode of The John Prophet Show, share it on your social media pages. We really do appreciate your support. Also, check out uh, my podcast, Distilled Discussions, and uh, we also have a new podcast, Pod of the Dragon, a Game of Thrones, Thrones-themed podcast coming out in the near future as well, so go check those all out. All right, America, have a great rest of your Thursday, and don't worry, I'll be here for you tomorrow.